0: HAKAI Magazine explores science, society, and the environment from a coastal perspective. Today's feature article is Poollandia. For 70 years, Iceland has kept afloat the idea that mandatory swimming lessons save lives, but the policy doesn't hold water. Written by Eagle Bjarnason and read by me, Adam Dubow. MLB, the acronym under a red button, on almost every commercial fishing vessel. If pressed, it means that a man is overboard, floundering in that 71% of the world called the ocean. In cold waters, each number of degrees the ocean temperature registers on the Celsius scale is roughly equal to the number of minutes the average human reaches hypothermia. Crossing through Rausagardr, relatively warm fishing grounds between Iceland and Norway, In early October, the water temperature is a balmy 5 degrees Celsius. That's 5 minutes for a person to tread water while the crew on board throws a life ring, turns the boat, and readies the rescue net for a man overboard recovery. The belief that you can make it back to the boat, or if it's close, to shore, once you're in the open sea is largely a fallacy. Whether you can swim or not, The cold ocean almost always grabs you and doesn't let go. This myth of potential survival, however, has affected every child, every taxpayer, and every town in Iceland. The story many Icelanders tell themselves is simple. Few will drown in the ocean, or bonus, anywhere else if you teach everyone to swim. Outside the greater Reykjavik area, towns and villages in Iceland have, on average, 19 boats, 1,182 people, two petrol stations, one church, and one outdoor swimming pool. Just like every other adult in Iceland, I spent 10 years swimming back and forth, back and forth, back and forth in a 25-meter pot of water, never going anywhere. By the time we finish 6th grade, we can swim 200 meters without aid the Nordic definition of being able to swim. Compulsory swimming lessons may be a good idea, but not for drowning prevention like most Icelanders believe. Throughout the 20th century, joining a boat crew meant enrolling in Iceland's most dangerous profession since the country had no army. The deaths of seamen were reported on public radio like the loss of foot soldiers. Listeners heard a name, along with the victim's home address, marital status, and number of children. In a nation that has never exceeded 335,000 residents, any individual's chance of knowing some of the drowned was relatively high. On February 17, 1939, everyone apparently had enough of the bad news when six children lost their fathers. Earlier that day, the steamboat Oliver 57 anchored off the town of Akarnes, Where Captain Bjarni Olafsson wished to attend church, the Oliver crew members, along with Olafsson, piled into a dinghy and headed for shore. When a large breaking wave capsized their small boat, the captain and three of his mates drowned, only three hundred breaststrokes or so away from land. Back then, few people knew how to swim, including sailors. That fatal wave helped spur a metaphorical one across an ocean-centered society. With half the male population destined to work on a boat at some point in their life, there was a nationwide call to improve safety at sea and to teach younger generations how to swim. It seemed like a logical response. In 1940, the government passed as law mandatory swimming lessons for students in grades 1 through 10. Townspeople in Akranes opened Bjarnalu Pool, named after a beloved skipper, on the annual Fisherman's Day in 1944. Everyone who could lift a shovel, push a wheelbarrow, and mix cement joined forces at the construction site in the town centre. Since the local government could afford only a third of the cost, youth and women's associations collected the remaining funds. Growing up, it was the landmark in town, says Thorogor Sigurdsson, 72, who both learned and taught swimming in Bjarnalu. Pictures from the opening event show hundreds of proud faces, remotely detached from war-torn Europe, where most other communities were busy building barracks and restoring bombed hospitals. Soon, every community, large and small, rich and poor, had a public pool with children going back and forth from morning to afternoon. Unlike the banal objectives of some school subjects, swimming lessons were to the point. Pay attention or you may drown one day. So, Icelanders learned to swim, and swimming eventually became a cultural pastime, and pools became community gathering places. As youngsters, Icelanders learned the usual acrobatic strokes Along with the so-called school backstroke, designed for long distance survival, and how to swim with an unconscious person in her arms. Despite all this, for decades Icelanders continued listening to the radio with a sigh and murmur, Havad Giver, Havad Taker. The ocean gives, the ocean takes. The death rate for seamen remained stubbornly high. The Icelandic Maritime Administration estimates that a total of four thousand people drowned in the sea, lakes, and rivers during the last century. An annual toll of 20 to 50 men, healthy and hard at work, seemed like an inevitable part of coastal life. A 1992 study found that, despite mandatory swimming lessons from 1966 to 1986, the death rate hardly dwindled in Iceland. Not until the early 1990s did the rate finally start to drop. The year 2008 was the first time in Icelandic history that none of our compatriots' lives were lost at sea. Hurrah! In recent years, the death rate has hovered at one or two per year if no major accidents occur, although no deaths were registered in 2011 or 2014. But how much of that was the result of swimming instruction? Even in good weather conditions, sailors adrift in North Atlantic waters rarely swim to safety. Again, it's the hypothermia issue. The fall in the rate of death for seamen is mostly the result of safety training and better technology. Accidents still happen, and surprisingly often in calm conditions, when it might seem as if someone could swim to safety. Today, the typical accident takes place in broad daylight, in good weather, and involves an experienced seaman, says Hilmar Snorrison, principal of the Maritime Safety and Survival Training Center which is on board a ship in downtown Reykjavik. Perhaps signifying its vaunted status, the school, the Saibjörg, is prominently placed, docked next to the city's landmark Harpa Concert Hall and Conference Centre. Since 1985, the centre has worked to dramatically change the working conditions for Icelandic seamen. Add in improved technology in the form of better boats, better weather forecasts and rescue helicopters, and heading to sea is a lot less dangerous than it was in 1939. Seamen now enroll in basic safety training every five years. The intense five-day course teaches sailors working on large vessels over 15 meters in length, everything from recognizing various alarm sounds to rescuing a dummy from a burning cabin. By the last day, the sailors even know what the lifeboat biscuits taste like. What's not covered, however are techniques typically taught to children in swimming pools. Experts know that despite the country's long-held views about swimming lessons, it's the focus on safety that saves lives. The only time sailors are expected to move around in the open seas is if they end up in the water after an abandoned ship command and need to reach a life raft. The protocol orders the crew to dress in floating survival suits that make everything other than a variation of the backstroke a swimming technique that takes the least amount of effort and keeps your head above water, a bad move. Staying still and conserving energy, a person in a survival suit can float for six hours in freezing water without losing more than one degree of body temperature. When emergency gear and protocol fail, a swimmer has a better chance at survival if help is close, but survival often depends on luck. But Icelanders, Vikings at heart, a luck and cling to epic tales of survival, old and new, that showcase grit, strength, and swimming prowess. Heroes include Gratyr the strong Arsmundsen in the sagas of Icelanders, who returned from self-exile at the island of Drangi by swimming more than seven kilometers to shore, and Gudlucker Frithursson, who cheated death after his fishboat sank near the Westman Islands in 1984. Wearing a shirt, Sweater and jeans, Frithersen swam five kilometers in five to six degrees Celsius water. He then walked barefoot for three hours across a frozen lava field until he found help. Once at the hospital, Frithersen presented with only a mild case of dehydration, no hypothermia. An insulating 14 millimeters of fat kept him alive, while the four other crew members died, never making it out of the water. His story should be considered motivation for overeating, but is instead the anecdote for swimming advocates. But gudlöger are words I hear repeatedly when talking swimming lessons and survival. Icelandic students get 1,200 to 1,800 minutes of swimming lessons every year from the age of 6 to 16. To people such as the former mayor of Reykjavik, Jan Gnarr, Those 20 or 30 hours are an outdated use of time and resources. In today's society, other risks are equally important. Women, for example, are more likely to be harmed by men than water, he wrote in an op-ed column for Freyadabladid, an Icelandic daily. Why not spend the time teaching them judo or karate? A nation of swimmers or a nation of karate kids? Surely the statistics on drowning in the general population forget sailors, support a swimming education. Globally, drowning is the third leading cause of accidental death, claiming 372,000 lives a year, more than the population of Iceland. The threat hits low- and middle-income countries hardest, where 91% of unintentional drownings, meaning not the result of suicide, occur, most involving children. These countries typically lack safety regulations, and swimming lessons are uncommon. In the Western Pacific region, drowning is the number one cause of death for children ages 5 to 14, and evidence from a swimming program in Bangladesh suggests that teaching all children how to swim can reduce fatalities by 93%. Even in wealthier countries, poor children are less likely to learn how to swim than their richer counterparts. In Denmark, a country that prides itself on equality, only half of children ages 7 to 14 can swim 200 meters without aid. And only 14% of children have learned through school programs, according to a 2014 survey by the Danish Swimming Federation. Nationally, 65% of adult Danes know how to swim, and almost all of them learn before the age of 15, many through school lessons. Today, fewer children are not learning how to swim. But when Tobias Marling, manager of the Learning to Swim project launched in 2015 by the Danish Swimming Federation and a charitable foundation, Trigfunden, urges schools to do better, officials grind their teeth about the cost. Denmark has far fewer pools than Iceland per capita, and most often they are distant from schools. Transportation is thus the biggest bite in their budget. But isn't it worth it to save kids, if not sailors, from drowning? Unlike in Bangladesh, swimming lessons do not have a huge impact on drowning rates in Denmark. A case study comparing Denmark and Iceland shows that the relationship between swimming lessons and drowning is more complex in wealthier countries. The two countries share similar geography, culture, and wealth, yet have the swimming abilities of the residents are vastly different. Denmark, however, has a lower drowning rate than Iceland with 1.2 drownings per 100,000 inhabitants versus Iceland's rate of 2.5 drownings. Much like the focus on safety for sailors, government regulations on water safety, supervision, and fences around pools have greatly reduced drowning rates among children of both countries and made them a rare incident. Also, in neighbouring Norway, A study found that half of children are osindar, the Icelandic adjective for people unable to swim, and the death toll shows a trend of 1.4 drownings per 100,000 inhabitants. The only thing this proves, however, is that drowning rates and swimming abilities are impossible to isolate as variables. Iceland, meanwhile, spends a lot of money on its swimming culture. The country has one pool per 2,000 people, usually in walking distance from a schoolyard. For almost all communities in Iceland, it's the pool itself that's a financial drain on local economies, some more than others. Of Iceland's 169 pools, 31 are not geothermally heated and need an artificial and expensive source of heat. Skaftorepru in southern Iceland has one of the more expensive pools. Like most other modern sundlu, As we Icelanders call our pools, it has multi-level hot tubs, for the lazy, and a small water slide, for the crazy. It's outdoors and is a great place to spend an afternoon. Indeed, pools are more popular than museums, cinemas, or churches in Iceland. Admission ranges from 7 to $9 US, but not even the most popular of Reykjavik's six pools, and thus the most popular in the whole country, can sustain itself with admissions alone, even if geothermally heated. Imagine how tough it is for smaller communities. According to Sandra Bra johansdotir mayor of the Skaftaripur municipality with a population of 470, the sports center operating her local pool runs an annual deficit of about $600,000 US, or a swimming pool full of nickels, which her municipality then balances out every year. That is 19% of the municipality's total budget. In other words, instead of teaching everyone how to swim, her community could take that 19% and spend it on care for the elderly, plowing snowy, hazardous roads, or send each of the 470 residents a check for $1,276 every year. Compulsory swimming lessons may be a good idea but not for the reason most Icelanders believe. Water isn't a native place for humans, terrestrial mammals, so why would people living alongside particularly cold water feel so strongly about their relationship with it? A habit formed, by law, in the 1940s, for illogical reasons and accepted by the country, damn the cost, is the explanation. In my hometown, a man named Magnus Trigvorsen has stood by the sides of the local pool for the past 30 years, in rain, snow, darkness, and the other elements of the Icelandic winter, yelling at thick-skulled children like myself. Crawl! Bend the wrist! Turn! I know I am making a difference, Tryggvorsen says, when asked what motivates his lifelong commitment. The moment when a child realizes he or she can go underwater and come up again without the feeling of drowning... It's that sincere excitement in the child's face that rewards my work. And maybe that's what it's about. A feeling. The older fishermen I chatted with, aside from leaning on those old stories of survival through an epic swim, talked about how learning how to swim made them feel. Less intimidated by the ocean, and more calm if facing an emergency situation. For Icelanders, perhaps swimming is not about overcoming risk, but rather the opposite. We walk from the beach into the cold water until it laps at our shoulders, the stinging cold forcing attention away from everything else, shrinking the world down to the ocean and us. We embrace the risk of the sea. Kids once again. Find more coastal news and stories from Hakai Magazine on our website at hackimagazine.com or follow us on Twitter or Facebook. All of our feature stories are part of the Hack Eye Magazine Audio Edition podcast, which you can subscribe to through your favorite podcast app. If you enjoyed this story, please consider sharing it with your friends.